Section three of Starved Rock A Historical Sketch by Eaton G. Osman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Veronica Jenkins. Section three The Fate of the Explorers and La Salle. The Fate of the Explorers. Ah, weary priest, with pale hands on thy throbbing brow of pain. Whittier. He was a man of comely form, polished and brave, well-learned and kind. Puritan Poet The Death of Marquette Marquette and Joliet separated at Green Bay, never again to meet. Marquette's constitution was so seriously impaired by the fatigues of the journey that he never afterward became a well man. Illness followed him so relentlessly that not until the following year was he able to complete his report and send it to his father superior at Quebec. In the fall of the same year, 1674, he received from Quebec an order to establish a mission at Kaskaskia, Starved Rock. His heart was in the work, and on October 25th he left Green Bay for the Illinois, his old malady, dysentery, with hemorrhage, returning, however, he was compelled to winter with his white companions at the mouth of Chicago River, which place he left for the Illinois River, March 29, 1675, reaching Kaskaskia, April 8. Here, on the plain, north of and across the river from Starved Rock, he then founded the mission to which he gave his favorite name, Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin but it was only for a little while that he was able to teach the benighted Indians, for continued illness soon obliged him to set forth on that return voyage which brought him to a lonely grave in the wilderness. On the eve of his departure from the village, he convened the inhabitants to the number of two thousand on a meadow hard by, and there on a rude altar exhibited four pictures of the Virgin Mary, explained their significance, and exhorted the chiefs and people to embrace Christianity. Quitting Kaskaskia soon after Easter, which occurred that year April 14th, he returned to the lake via the Kankakee Portage and St. Joseph River. Unable to proceed further, his companions built for him a rude hut, near the mouth of the river in which he died, the names of Jesus and Mary on his lips, and his face radiant with joy. He was buried on an eminence overlooking the lake which he himself had pointed out for his resting place. But two years later his Indian friends from Mackinac removed his bones to St. Inez, where they were buried in a vault under the floor of the log chapel. In process of time, the mission being afterwards abandoned, their resting place was forgotten, but it was discovered in 1877 by a Michigan clergyman, and a monument has, by the latter's endeavors, been since erected to mark the spot. Thus died at the age of thirty-eight one of the noblest and purest men whose names adorn the annals of the Northwest. Joliet's Subsequent Career Monsieur Joliet reached Quebec, in August, 1674, but within sight of Montreal, was nearly drowned, losing all the records of his voyage. He made a verbal report to the governor, accompanying it with a map made from recollection. He, no doubt, expected some substantial reward, but was disappointed, at least at that time, 
For this and other services he was later granted the island of Anticosti at the mouth of the St. Lawrence, where, in 1681, he established himself with his wife and six servants and became interested in the fisheries. Being also a skilled navigator and surveyor, he was appointed by Frontenac, hydrographer, at Quebec. In 1690, the English commander, Sir William Phipps, burned Joliet's Anticosti establishment and took him and his wife prisoners. Joliet was subsequently released and in 1694 explored Labrador on behalf of a seal and whale fishing company. He died evidently poor in 1699 or 1700. His descendants appear to have inherited his virtues and his talent, and several of them have held positions of high trust and responsibility, both civil and ecclesiastical, in the modern dominion of Canada. La Salle I hear the tread of pioneers, of nations yet to be, the first low wash of waves where soon shall roll a human sea. Whittier His Dream of Empire It has come to be the fashion in certain quarters to belittle the character and accomplishments of La Salle. While Parkman makes him second only to Champlain as the greatest of all French discoverers of the Great West, Shea treats him as simply a follower of paths that others had previously blazed. Parkman bears testimony to the heroic persistence of the man in spite of immense physical difficulties and the more disheartening machinations of enemies, whose adverse influence was felt at every step of his career and at every point, from the court of Louis the Fourteenth to the mouth of the Mississippi. Dr. Shea, on the other hand, ascribes his failure to a fatal lack of capacity as an explorer. La Salle was doubtless a persuasive talker in setting forth his projects, he says, though utterly incapable of carrying out even the simplest. There is an element of truth in the latter view of La Salle, but the statement is an exaggeration of La Salle's real fault. It is true, La Salle, strictly speaking, discovered nothing except the Ohio River, neither the Mississippi nor its outlet, both of which had been seen by the Spaniard a hundred years before La Salle was born. But these discoveries the Spaniard had also as long ago forgotten, and La Salle's claim of the land for France by right of discovery and occupancy was never disputed. As to the Northwest, though, La Salle was neither the first to explore its lakes or rivers, he certainly was the first to enter it as a settler and pioneer of the future settlers. Moses goes even further than Shea, attributing to La Salle a bickering spirit, which certainly is not a characteristic of the man as he is pictured by Parkman, confessedly the most competent historian of this period and department of our American history. Moses says, Had the French governor, Le Bar, La Salle's enemy at all times, as Frontenac was always his friend, and La Salle pooled their issues, and instead of endeavoring to break each other down, worked together, there was nothing to prevent their building up a colony at Fort St. Louis, Starved Rock, which would have been of great advantage to the interests of each, and exerting a controlling influence upon the destiny of New France. Had agriculture and permanent settlement been encouraged in connection with the traffic with the Indians, a prosperous and powerful community might have been established, which, growing and extending to other equally favorable locations in the Illinois country, might in fifty years have constituted a community which would have proved an insuperable barrier against any foreign encroachment, in consequence of its ability to maintain its own integrity. 
but the rapacity of one and the ambition of the other prevented the accomplishment of such a result mr moses has overlooked the fact that this very idea was in truth the keynote of la salle's career that is to take possession of and settle the mississippi valley but in this purpose he had the opposition of both labar the governor and also the jesuits neither of whom then desired permanent settlers about them to interfere with their relations with the indians the responsibility of the failure of la salle's attempts to colonize the illinois rests much more with the court and the priesthood on the st lawrence than with la salle on the illinois his failures as a result of his own faults must be attributed not so much to the withering influences of a soul consumed with petty quarrels and bickerings but rather to his unfortunate inability to create real friendships among his own people and to his besetting sin of trusting no one but himself even in projects requiring for their success the cooperation of large bodies of men more than two hundred years have passed since la salle perished in the trackless wastes of the far southwest and his venturous soul fled to that bourne from which no traveller returns but even as he stood upon the summit of starved rock in sixteen eighty two and sixteen eighty three and his eye swept over the magnificent landscape his prophetic spirit saw in the then distant future the grandeur of the empire that was yet to come whose very heart would throb in the fertile land spread out before him which he loved to characterize as a terrestrial paradise it was the mastermind of la salle that first conceived the policy which led on step by step from starved rock to fort Duquesne, braddock's defeat and forbes march to the forks of the ohio and the train of events culminating in the fall of quebec looking into the future la salle saw on these prairies and by the shores of the great lakes a new france far more powerful than the old and this vision one may truly say was the guiding star of his romantic career as the first white man to establish a settlement upon her soil he has been justly styled the father of illinois but it was only when wolfe triumphed on the heights of abraham that the empire which la salle foresaw and devoted his life to found became a historic fact what la salle did not see was that the great law of evolution had destined that this great power would be not norman but anglo-saxon end of section three recorded by veronica jenkins in ottawa illinois